there. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. And if you're physically able, out of reverence to God's Word, if you'd stand, please. The Apostle Paul talking to the, the church at Ephesus, God talking through the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus and, and talking to us today. Paul writes, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. May God bless us by the reading and the hearing, most especially the doing of His Word. You may be seated. And I don't have any like three points in a poem today. I'm not going to be doing any alliterating. We're just going into these verses and, and we're going to pick them apart. And uh, I'm going to try to hold you guys here as long as I possibly can so you get good and hungry and, and uh, be ready to eat. And, and maybe they'll have everything cooked for us by the time we get up there. Uh, but at any rate, Paul starts out in verse 14 by saying, for this reason. Now what's he saying that for? Lots of times when you hear a term like that, the, the author of the book, and most of them in the New Testament of Paul, he's talking about, well, remember all that stuff I told you up until this time? You remember all that stuff I told you up until this time? Well, this is the reason I'm telling you what I'm going to tell you right now. And if you remember from the first couple of weeks, the first few weeks, because this is our eighth week in Ephesians, Paul talked about who we were in Jesus Christ. He talked about the fact that, that we, were, that we were, were, were predestined, if you will. God knew in eternity past who was going to accept His invitation to salvation. God knew in eternity past who the saints were going to be. He didn't handpick them. He didn't say this one's going to hell and this one's going to heaven and this one's going to hell. He knew who was going to accept His gift of salvation. Paul also talked about the fact of the power that we have. The power that resurrected Jesus Christ from the grave, we now have living in us if we know Christ as Lord and Savior. And I think we forget that so many times. We say, well, I can't do this or I can't do that. You know what? I might not be able to, but Jesus Christ can. You know, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We need to remember though that that verse, that isn't just a verse that we can pull to claim when we want to do something. You know, that verse is talking about if I'm doing what God has called me to do, I can get it accomplished through the power of Jesus Christ. He goes on to talk about the, 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 the different things we have as, uh, as believers, as brothers and sisters. We're joint heirs with Jesus. He says, for all intents and purposes, we're already seated in the heavenly places. And then, just to give you a rundown on what's going on in the beginning of verse 3, he's talking about a mystery revealed. And there's lots of folks that kind of play with that and don't do a very good job of interpreting it. But what he's talking about is that in the Old Testament times, the mystery was when and how Messiah was going to come and, 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 and what was going to happen. And also part of that mystery was they didn't know about it until it was revealed in the New Testament. And we see that also at the beginning of chapter 3. Part of the mystery was that was revealed through Jesus is that it wasn't just Israel who was chosen for salvation. The Gentiles, folks like you and I that were not Jews 
were also chosen to be saved. And, and, and the Old Testament folks didn't realize that. That, that, that. that was a mystery to them. But, but Paul encapsulizes all of it by saying the mystery was that the Messiah was going to come. And when He came, guess what? He didn't come just to save, just to save us Jews. Because Paul was a Jew. He said the mystery is that He came. Yes, He, he, he chose Israel to spread the Word. And we did a... Paul doesn't say it right here, but he says in other places, I'm going to paraphrase, we did a pretty poor job of doing that. But he said the, the, the totality of the revealed mystery is the Messiah didn't come just for us in Israel. He came for everybody. He came to seek and to save those who were lost, meaning every person that ever walked the face of this earth. And now Paul's getting in here to this prayer. He's saying, because of all that stuff I've told you, this is what I'm going to pray for you. Doesn't use the word prayer, but he 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 bows on his knees and he he. I want to start out, you know, really with that 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 term bow on my knees. We need to see how humble Paul was. You know, Paul talked in one of the other letters about the fact that if anybody could boast about being a Jew, it was him, because both his mom and dad were Jews and they could be traced back many generations. He was a uh, he was a Pharisee. Uh, uh, extra biblical history tells us that he 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 w was taught by the teachings of a, a, one of the most famous Jewish teachers ever, a gentleman by the name of Gamaliel. And Paul, if you were, if you will, was on the fast track to move up in the hierarchy of, of Jewish religious leadership. And he said, "I got all the, you know." In another book, he said, "I've got all these things going for me," but he says, "I count them as dung." compared to what I have in Jesus Christ. And this man that could have been so arrogant, and at one time he was arrogant because he was trying to kill Jews and have them put in prison for believing in Jesus Christ. Bible tells us that he was the one that held the cloaks of everybody when Stephen, the first martyr, was killed. But he says here, I bow on my knees. He's, we're seeing here how, how humble Paul was. How humble a Christian Paul was. And I want us to contrast that in this song we sang a while ago is proof of it. Look at how arrogant the church has become today. Well, well, the wrath of God might be offensive to some people, so we know better than God does, so we're, we're going to change it to make it more appealing to people. You know, we're going we're gonna to change, and not just that, but the church today, we're going to change the way we teach the Bible. We're going to change the way we present Jesus Christ because we're down here on this earth and we know more about what's going on than God does up in heaven. You know, and not even not even the church as an institution, but look at us as Christians individually in the way we live our lives. We claim we know Him, we claim we love Him, but yet we choose to live life on our own terms. Well, yeah, I know this is what God's Word says, but you know, I'm going to do this anyway. Or I know this is what God's Word said, but that was 2,000 years ago, and this is 2013. Certainly, things have got to change. You know, we, we, we've got to change the Bible to, to make it relevant to society. No, we need to change society to make it relevant to the Bible. Thus saith the Lord. But the church has become so arrogant today. Not only the church as a whole, but us as individuals. You know, so many, you've heard me say this before, so many Christians say, God, I'll serve you, I'll worship you, I'll witness for you as often as I want, when I want how I want, the way I want. And by golly, you better be pleased by the, by the fact that I interrupted my busy schedule, my busy life, to throw you a bone. 
is what so many of us as, as Christians do today. We'll, we'll, we'll give God a, a tip of the hat for you young folks that don't know what tip of the hat means. Back in the day, gentlemen wore hats everywhere. When, and when, they, when they'd come across a lady or, or somebody that was respected, they, they, they'd tip their hats to them as a way of saying hello. You know, it, it, was, it, was, it was pretty much superficial, if you will. You know, lots of times. And, but yet that's what's going on with, with those of us that call Christ our Lord and Savior these days. It's, we do it our way, the way we want, when we want, how we want to. But we see how, how humble Paul was. He says, I bow on my knees <clears throat> to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We live in a day and time that t today where, where most of us, even as Christians, won't bow our knee to anybody. It's all about us. We're going to get things done our way. You know, it's all about number one. And he goes on to say, for this reason, you know, I bow on my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. He's talking about the church and the saints that have already gone on. That He would grant you according to the riches of His glory. Now, we, we've already seen this earlier in, in, in Ephesians. You know, we, Paul talked about the fact that, that God blessed us. God gives us power out of the riches of His glory. Not out of His leftovers. Not out of, a, if you will, a, you know, God says, well, I've got this much and I'm going to give you this. Because that's based on, if you will, the, the limit that He has. But He blesses us and He gives us power based on the riches of His glory. The abundance, if you will, the overabundance of what He's got. In other words... When we think God has no more to give us, and I'm not talking Cadillacs, cash, and condos, I'm talking about strength to live, wisdom, power to, to live life in His strength. When we think, God, there's not possibly any more You could give me. There's not possibly any more, uh, any more power you could, you could hope to give me. Guess what? God says, yeah, I do. Here it is. And guess what? If you need more, <laughs> I've got that too. All I got to do is speak the word. You ask the word. You ask the prayer. You ask for it. I speak the word, and you get it. And, and folks, that's what the what a, a whole lot of what the Christian life is about it is us not living it in our own power, but living it through the power of Jesus Christ and depending on the riches of His glory to give us the. Perry and I were talking about a couple of things this morning, talking about about men and how we're, how, how weak men especially are, you know. <clears throat> But if we ask of God, God, give me the strength for this. Give me the strength for that. You know. Give me the strength, God, to make a covenant with my eyes so that I won't look upon a maid. If we ask God for it, He's going to give it to us. He's going to pour it out of the riches of His abundance, out of the riches of His glory, so that we can walk in a manner worthy of the calling of a Christian. We can't do it. Yeah, I was talking to, to, to Perry. You know, we, we were... I don't know how we got on the subject, but we were talking King's Dominion and Beach, and, and, and we were talking about how, how us as men cannot live the way we need to live as, a, as, a, as an honorable Christian and an, as, an, as an honorable husband on our own. And he was talking about how he had gone to King's they go, they go to King's Dominion. He says, I, I just, he said, I'm just being honest. I've got I to gotta be careful. And I told him, I said, well, you know what? The same thing's true of me when we go to Myrtle Beach. I say, I say a whole lot. The, the main reason I'm, I'm under a canopy with, with a book 
is, is because that's what recharges me. But I said, I know if I'm not laying on the beach and I'm not sleeping and I don't have a book to read, my eyes are going to start to wander. I don't want them to, but that's the way us men are, are wired. You know, I told Perry, I said, even if I have my nose stuck in a book, I said, I hear this little ting-a-ling-a-ling every 15, 20, 30 minutes. I know that there's probably a girl in a skimpy bikini pushing the ice cream truck down the beach. You know, I can't on my own be obedient, if you will, to what God wants me to do. I've got to ask God out of, out of the riches, out of the abundance of, of His, His riches, God, give me the strength to make a covenant with my eyes. You know, been praying a whole lot lately. God, put a guard over my mouth. You know, not that I'm fussing and cussing like a sailor, but you know what? Even for all of us, men and women included, lots of times there's stuff coming out of our mouths that shouldn't be coming out of our mouths as Christians. And I'm not talking about profanity. You know. But the Bible tells us here that, out, you know, Paul says that out of the riches of his glory, he, he'll give us the strength to do that. And he says right here, you know, to be strengthened with might through his spirit and his inner man. Now, when he's, when he's talking about here about the inner man is our spiritual body. We need to remember that before we came to know Christ, there was, there, there was one body, there was one, there was John, okay? <clears throat> When I turn from my sin and I turn to Jesus, the Bible tells me, and I might not feel like it all the time, and I want to emphasize that. People so many times say, Pastor, I don't, there are times I don't feel like I'm saved. Guess what? There are times I don't feel like I'm saved. But our salvation isn't based on our feeling. Our salvation is based on what Jesus did on the cross. And if we've truly accepted Him, it doesn't matter whether we feel like it or not. If we've claimed God's God's word, I remember my pastor used to tell folks when he'd give the invitation, he'd say, "You might be sitting there and thinking, well, I don't feel any different. I don't feel like I'm saved." And he basically said the same thing that I just did. But he says, "Your feelings will eventually catch up with the decision you've made." But Paul's talking about the inner man here. When I came to know Jesus Christ, my Bible tells me that Jesus Christ, God Himself, in the person of the Holy Spirit, came to live inside of me. Okay? Paul talks about our old man being put to death. I'm crucified with Christ, therefore I'll live. Yet not I, but Christ who lives within me. And he says, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live through the power of Jesus Christ who died for me. Once we become a Christian, we've got two people there. We've got the old John, or Victor, or Kathy, or Rachel, whatever your name is, you know, for you. But we've got the Holy Spirit living in us. Okay? And as long as we live, there's going to be a constant battle because the old John is going to want to be doing the things that the old John used to do. But the new John, if you will, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit living in me, is wanting to do the things that God wants to do. And there's going to be a constant, constant battle in that inner man. And what we need to realize is that our spiritual body, if you will, God's Spirit living in us, needs to be strengthened and it needs to be protected each and every day from ourselves. Because I know no good thing lives in me but it also needs to be protected and strengthened against Satan and his demons. 
And it goes back to the, to the story. I, I think I've shared this with you before, and I know it's politically incorrect to tell stories like this, but I'm gonna. There was a fellow that had a that had two dogs, and he fought them. And uh, every week he'd go to the dog fights, and every week he'd bet on one of his dogs, and and he was winning tons of money. And somebody came up to him one day and says, "How is it that you know which dog's going to win?" And he said, "It's pretty simple. The one that I fed during the week." You feed the one dog, it gets strong. You starve the other dog, what's going to happen to it? It's going to get weak. And that's the way we need to be as Christians. We need to be feeding that spiritual man, that spiritual woman inside of us so that we can withstand the wiles of the devil, so that we can withstand the old man. And that's why you, part of the reason you hear me harping so many times about how we need to be in church on Sunday mornings. You know, how we need to be with God's people, how we need to be in prayer and having quiet time in Bible study during the week. You know, you might be like me and could probably eat once on Sunday and then maybe do without, a, do without another meal until the next Sunday just to drop some pounds. But, but what's going to happen to us if we only eat one meal a week? We're going to get weak. And sooner or later... We're going to start to die because our body functions are going to start to shut down. Organs are going to start to deteriorate because you can't get by on one meal a week. But yet so many people as Christians try to get by on one meal a week, Sunday morning. And, 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 and for a lot of folks, they're lucky if they get that. So Paul's talking about the inner man. We need to fight. We need to strengthen that inner man all the time. You know, I'm, I'm a very weak person. I kind of let, let that one out of the bag if you didn't know it just now talking about the beach. I don't have the strength to resist myself, much less Satan. You know, I haven't been feeling too good this, the, the past couple of days and I, I went out yesterday long enough with Tammy to run some errands and we got some... Uh, <clears throat> The grocery store got some Oreo cookies with double stuff. Okay, I was I, like I said, I wasn't feeling good. We got back home and I, I, I basically went to bed, spent most of the day in bed. But buddy, every few hours when I woke up, guess where I was going? I, I was going down. And you know what? That made it worse because I had indigestion all night. You know, I don't have the I don't have the energy to 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 if you will to to resist myself to resist my cravings, much less to resist Satan and his demons in the world. I need God's Spirit in me to give me strength each and every moment of each and every day. And I can tell the difference in my life when He's with me and the difference when I'm not walking with Him the way that I should. And you know what? I've got a barometer, at least one barometer at my house that lets me know when I'm not walking with Jesus the way that I should be. Every once in a while, I'll hear, you've not been doing your devotions the way you should. You've not been praying the way you should, have you? I'm like, well, really, how did you know? Well, you know, it, it, it was... I'll ask, how did you know? And she'll be sly about it and, 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 and really kind of, kind of couch it to, to make it sound tactful. Well, you just about bit my head off this morning, so I know something's going on. That, that was a joke. She wasn't being tactful. She was right out with it, you know. And folks, if, if, if we as Christians, if you as Christians like me, can't tell a difference in your life from when you're walking closely with God and when you're not walking closely with God, what does that tell you? 
If we cannot tell a difference in our lives where, man, I'm, I'm, I'm close to God right now, in the times when we're not so close to God, what does that tell us? What does that tell us? Moving on to verse 17. He says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love and a comma there. So I'm going to leave there. Stop there. That word dwell comes from a Greek word that means to settle down and make oneself at home to be, to be comfortable and to be at ease. Now based on that definition, does Christ dwell in us this morning? Based on that definition from the Greek word, does Christ dwell in us this morning? If it means to settle down and make oneself at home and to be comfortable and at ease, does Christ dwell in us? Is Christ comfortable living in John Hodgen? Does Jesus know that He can make Himself at home inside of John Hodgen? Is Jesus at ease? In other words, does He feel like He's part of the family in me? Or does He feel like, well, you know what? I'm, I, I guess the best way to explain it is, is I'm, I'm visiting with somebody that I'm really not too sure about, so I'm, I'm going to be careful about what I do. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to go through the medicine chest. I'm not going to go through their drawers. You know, I'm not going to help myself to the, whatever's in their refrigerator because I, I don't know them that well. And I know that's, that's a pretty if you will, fleshly example to use. But it's, I think it's, I remember I had a friend in high school who used to aggravate my dad to death. He would come over to our house. And back in that day, and I don't know if things have changed, you go into somebody else's house and you're thirsty or you want something to drink. What, what do you do? Well, you know, could I get something to drink? Or could I get, you know, get anything I could eat? You know, I'm kind of hungry. Well, this friend of mine, he'd walk in the house First thing he'd do, he'd go to the refrigerator and open it up to see what was in there. You know, and he felt at home. You know, I don't think my dad wanted him to feel like he was at home, but, but, but he was at home. And, and, and to bring that to our spiritual life, is that the way Jesus is with us? Does he feel like he can just come in? Now, now granted, I realize he's God and he doesn't need permission, but work with me here, okay? You know. Does, does Jesus feel like He can come into our lives and, and He's walking into a friendly place? You know, well, I know John doesn't mind me going into this medicine chest and, and, and finding out what's going on in his life. You know, he's probably thinking at the same time, it doesn't matter whether he's comfortable about it or not, I'm going to do it. You know, I'm going to do some work in his life. But, but does, does Jesus dwell in us? You know? Is there anything going on in our lives that would strain our relationship or be an embarrassment to Jesus? And if so, then we've got to ask ourselves whether He's dwelling in us, or at least if He's dwelling within us in the sense of having fellowship with us and leading us and guiding us. Because see, we can be a Christian and be out of fellowship. We need to remember that when, when we're in sin, we don't lose our salvation, but we lose the fellowship. Once we're saved, we're always saved. The Bible tells us that nothing can snatch us out of the Father's hand. If you believe that you can lose your salvation, then you're saying that there's something or someone that is greater than God. But yet at the same time, as he walks away from the podium and he forgets his point, Yet at the same time, that fellowship, if we're in sin, can be lost. 
It's like picking up the phone and making a call and hearing the operator say, well, I'm sorry, but this call can't be completed at this time. And what do we have to do? We need to confess our sins to God. 1 John 1.9, and we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's like, I don't know how much it costs if there's even pay phones now. That's like putting 50 cents in that, in, in that pay phone and the operator saying, okay, who, who do you want me to put you in touch with? You know, the example I like to use is with my boys. My boys are my sons. There's, no, there's nothing in the world that can change the fact that they're my sons. Okay? They could go to court although they're all over 18, and be emancipated and have their names changed and, and, and the, the legal system of the United States say they're not your sons anymore. But in real life, guess what? They're still my sons no matter what. Now, they can get ticked off at the old man and say, I never want to see you again and leave and take off. But guess what? They're still my kids. But what's been messed up? The fellowship. And what it's going to take, they're always going to be my sons. I'm always going to be their dad. What it takes is some work to restore the fellowship. I've got to reach out to them or they've got to reach out to me, but we've got to meet in the middle some way, forgive each other, confess the fact that we've hurt each other, forgive each other, and the fellowship is restored. The same thing is true with our Heavenly Father. We, we can be out of fellowship with Him. We can sin and be out of fellowship, but He's always going to be our Heavenly Father. We're saved. What it takes is us coming to Him and admitting our sin, confessing our sin, repenting of our sin, turning from our sin, and turning back to God and having that fellowship restored. <clears throat> Excuse me. We need to make it so that, that He is able, if you will, to dwell within us. Moving on there, he says uh, in verse 17, being rooted and grounded in love. You know, I think the reason so many Christians have such, and I'll just say it, miserable lives. I think the reason why so many Christians are, are constantly you know, struggling, they're constantly worrying, there's constantly, I know that's not grammatically correct, there's constantly no peace in their lives is because they're always at odds with God. They're always at odds with people. They have fear in their lives. They worry about everything. Yeah, the reason they do all these things, I believe, is because they're not truly grounded and rooted in the love of Jesus Christ. I saw a clip the other day on YouTube. And I mean, I just cried the whole time I saw it. I watched it. And you might, need to, might, might want to take a look at this. It was a video of a young lady. I guess she's in her 20s now. But she was on YouTube one day listening to some music. And if you know anything about YouTube, on the right-hand side, they have these different videos that you can look at. And she said, I was looking and I saw this one caption that said, Voted World's Ugliest Girl. And she said, I, just out of curiosity, she said, the figure, because it was small, the figure looked familiar. And so she went and clicked on it, and it came up. And she said, the picture of the girl was me. And she said, it was taken when I was 11 years old. 
And she was born with a, with a, with a, a disease or a condition where she, she couldn't gain weight. I mean, it wasn't like you know, anorexia or anything like that. It was, it was a condition where no matter what they did, she couldn't gain weight. And she said, I looked on it. And you can tell how many hits, how many people look at it. She said, there were over a million hits. And she said, I just couldn't comprehend that. And she said, then there's always comments. And I started scrolling down. And she said, there were comments like, why don't you do the world a favor and kill yourself? You know, she said there were people giving her directions on how she could commit suicide and how the world would be so much better. You know, and she said, that's when I was 11 years old and they didn't even know me. And, and she said, you know, she said, naturally my, my heart broke. You know, she said, I, I was ready for a second to do exactly what, what they wanted me to do. But she said, you know, after she, and I'm paraphrasing, after she thought about it a while, she said, I've got two ways to, 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 to deal with this. I can, either, I can either believe the lies that they're telling me, and I can take it to an extreme and kill myself, or I can take what they meant for my hurt and use it to glorify God. And this young lady now makes her living as a, as a, a Christian speaker going around talking mainly to, to young women about body image and about how, you know, she said, she said it, took so, it, it took some praying, but she said, I realized that, that, that God didn't care what I looked like on the outside. He knew who I was on the inside and, and that, was, that was beautiful to Him. But see, she couldn't have done that if she was not rooted and grounded in the Word of God. If she was not rooted and grounded in a relationship with Him that was so strong that when, man, when those hurricanes and those tornadoes of life hit, and I tell you what, to me, looking at something like that on YouTube would have been like having a, 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 a Category 5 hurricane, an E8 tornado, and a 10.2 earthquake hit all at the same time. But she was so grounded and rooted in God that she was able, able to say, God, take, take, take the hurt, take the hate, take the bitterness, take the anger from me and show me how I can use this for Your glory. And that's exactly what she's doing now. But see, the problem is with a lot of us Christians, we, we get saved and then we take what I like to say, the first chair you see and sit down. You know... We give our lives to Jesus then take the first chair we see and sit down and that's it. And, and we're not really grounded in the Word of God other than maybe John 3.16, For God so loved the world. Romans 8.28, All things work together for the good. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things. And maybe 1 John 1.9, If we confess our sins. That's as grounded as some people get. The roots are not deep. And then when the winds come, when the storms come, guess what happens? We start, at best, we, we worry and we wonder, you know, worst case scenario, we, we, we just, I don't want to say we walk away from the faith, but we throw in the towel. God, why do I even try? But we need to realize that God's love, and again, this is probably a bad analogy, God's love is like a plant. For it to be the best in us, it's got, we've got to do what we need to do for it to grow and for it to take deep roots. 
But yet so many of us as Christians lack root and depth in our walk and in our love for others regardless of what they say and regardless of what they say even love for God because we live off again off of one meal a week if that much and then we starve ourselves the rest of the week with no food or we starve ourselves with junk food. And what I mean by junk food is we live according to the ways of the world. We, we don't put ourselves in any position where we can feed ourselves. Where we're running around out in town when we're not working, doing things that might be good, but they're taking us away from God. We get, we get home, we turn the TV on. And, and, and we're watching stuff that's not good for us. We, we listen to music that's not good for us. We young people and, and old people too, I've never gotten into this, we spend hours and hours in front of video games. You know, so we're not rooted. We're not getting any depth. You know, the Bible tells us that we're to partake of the breath of life and drink from the spring of living water or the water of life each and every day. And if we're truly taking it in and allowing us to change our lives, then guess what? We're going to grow. And if you've ever done any farming or gardening, you know that as, as the, if you will, the crop grows up, What's happening? The root is continuing to grow down. And, and, and we're grounded. You know, if not fed properly, a child's growth can be stunted and even hurt. It can even get to the point where, where the brain will not grow and develop properly, causing damage to the entire body. And the same thing is true with us, true of us that are Christians. If we don't water the plant, if we don't feed the plant, if we don't allow the plant to grow and to take deep roots, the growth is going to be stunted. The, 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 and, and the person is going to be, be stunted. Uh, and folks, I believe we're just a couple of generations of, at worst, unconverted Christians, or at best, growth-stunted, brain-damaged Christians because we're not rooted in God's Word so that we can show God's love. Then moving on to verse 18. He says that Christ 17, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height. That word comprehend, they're talking about every dimension, every aspect of the love of Christ. Now realize, we worship a God that we cannot fully comprehend, but yet He allows us to comprehend. He allows us to comprehend Him. We'll never be able to comprehend the entirety of God. We won't be able to comprehend God in His totality, mainly because there's nothing total about God. He's infinite. But yet, He allows us to be able to comprehend Him. We, we can know about God's love. We can know about God's forgiveness. We can know about God's justice. We can know about God's grace. We can know about God's mercy. We can know about God's judgment and God's wrath and God's hate of sin. So we can't fully comprehend Him, but, but He allows us to comprehend Him. He allows us to, 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 come to, to come to know Him. So we can comprehend, Paul says, to comprehend. And, and, and to help us understand what I mean by comprehend, if you will, uh, that, that, that we can comprehend God. Somebody went, And I want to make sure I read this word for word. Somebody once said that the cross was pointed four ways, essentially in every direction, because God's love is wide enough to include every person. God's love is long enough to last through all eternity. God's love is deep enough to reach the worst sinner. And God's love is high enough 
to take us to heaven. We can't fully comprehend God, but we can understand God. And, and Paul's talking about those four aspects, the width, the length, the depth, and the height. The width, the width, the length, the depth, and the height. That's all, and I probably did that wrong. But, you know, we can't know all of it, but we can know it by giving our lives to Jesus Christ. So we need, you know, we've got a way that we can make sure we have a true love for God. That we really know Him as Savior. You know, not just a sentiment or an, an affinity to God because there's a lot of folks out there with a, with a, a sentiment for God, a, a warm, fuzzy feeling towards Jesus and, and, and towards the things of God, but there's no genuine love there. And how do we know? Well, we know because Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Again, I've been saying this so often, I can't look into somebody's heart and know whether or not they're saved. Charles Stanley said that we can't know whether or not, we can't make a judgment call on whether or not somebody's a Christian, but he says we can be a fruit inspector. And if we don't see any fruit, then, then there's a good indication there that, that they don't really know the love of Jesus Christ. They don't know the height, the depth, the length, and the width of His love. And then moving on, to verse 19, and we'll stop there. It says, To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That word know in the Greek means to know by experience. Paul's saying that by experience, that you have experienced the love of Christ which passes knowledge. I'm not talking about, okay, you know, Somebody ran a red light and I was almost hit today. And well, that's the love that Jesus has for me. He saved me. Well, might have been, might not have been. You know. It's just a know by experience. And then it says, the fullness, it may be filled with all the fullness of God. Well, what does it mean by fullness? That we're filled to our capacity with Jesus. Paul talks so many times about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Keep in mind when we're saved, and there's a difference between indwelling and filling. When we're saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. We're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. But what winds up happening, we get caught up in the world, we get caught up with doing things our way, and the Holy Spirit has less and less effect on our lives, influence on our lives. And so we need to ask God to fill us with His Holy Spirit. Paul talked about that many times. And really, when you get right down to it, it's not about us being filled with God's Holy Spirit. It's more of, of us, God, I'm giving you more control of my life so that your Holy Spirit can work through me, so that your Holy Spirit can do more. But he talks about the fullness, to be filled with the capacity of Jesus. Paul prays this, yet so many of us Christians want just enough of God to get into heaven. I said it a couple of weeks ago. We, we want to get into heaven with the smoke of hell smelling on our clothes when we get there. We read in the Scripture that this physical body of corruption, Paul even wrote it, will put on incorruption. In other words, one day we'll get a glorified body that will be compatible with heaven. And Paul's talking about us knowing the fullness of God. And, and we'll know, the Bible tells us that when we get to heaven, we will, we will know Him as He knows us. One day this, this corruptible body, if you will, is going to put on incorruption and then I'm going to get my glorified body. But I want us to see something here in closing. This body, in a real sense, my physical body, is not compatible with heaven. That's why God's going to give me a glorified body. Okay? 
we need to see that God is not going to take something that's totally incompatible. God's not going to take something that's totally opposite to God, opposite to God's Spirit, and force it to be compatible. If you have no time to love, no time for God, no time for the Word of God, no time for the people of God, no time for the worship of God, God all of a sudden is not going to take what is diametrically opposed to God and change us so that we'll be suitable for heaven. Okay? I hope everybody understands that. There's so many of us that claim to be Christians. And I'm probably talking to the choir today because y'all are, y'all, y'all are here in church. Although we need to remember that sitting in church makes you a Christian just as much as sitting in, the, sitting in the garage makes you a Cadillac. Okay? But what we need to realize, if we claim to love Jesus Christ, but yet we have no time for Him, we have no time for His Word, we have no time for prayer, we have no time to fellowship with God's people. or And I say no time, a better way to put it should probably be desire. If we have no desire for the things of God, then, then, then spiritually and physically we're incompatible with heaven. And in that sense, God's not going to take something that we've lived and that we've believed and if you will, that we've clung to all of our lives and say, okay, you're dead. Now all of a sudden I'm going to make it so you're going to, so you're going to love me and you're going to be compatible with me in heaven. It ain't going to happen. And that's not John Hodgins' opinion. That's the Word of God right there. So just to be blunt, if you've got problems, the problem isn't with me. The problem's with God's Word. But yet so many people think, and I've been harping on this I know for quite a while now, the past few weeks, so many people think they can say a prayer, they, they can walk an aisle, they can get baptized, and they can write their name down on a, on a church membership card and that means they're saved. Folks, it doesn't. Because everybody we see, and I promise I'm going to, well, I'm going to try to stop here. Everybody we see in the New Testament that was called to Jesus Christ, there was an immediate change. There was immediate obedience. And I'm not saying that when we come to Christ, all of a sudden we're going to be sinless and we're going to think and walk and talk and act right, but there's definitely going to be a change. If we truly know Jesus, there's going to be a desire to to get to know Him more. There's going to be a desire to love Him more. There's going to be a desire to learn more about Him. There's going to be a desire to to obey Him. There's going to be a desire to be with His people. And, and, And this... I don't even know what to call it. This thing that so many of us have talked ourselves into believing about us and even believing about our, our spouses or our kids or our parents. Oh, well, I know they're saved. They got saved 30 years ago. They, they might not come to church and they might not pray and they might not read their Bible, uh, but, but I know they're saved. Folks, we're lying to ourselves. Because if we're truly saved, there's going to be a change somewhere. And I said this a couple weeks ago, and I'm going to emphasize it today. For a lot of us, instead of praying that God would leave our saved loved ones back to church where they should be, we need to be praying, God, whatever it takes short of death to get them saved, do it. And quit fooling ourselves or running under the false suspicion that we've got loved ones that are saved that aren't saved. Because what's going to happen one day is we're going to stand in heaven. 
And when the, when the judgment comes, we're going to stand in heaven. And some of us are going to have friends and loved ones that we talked ourselves into believing that they were saved because we didn't want to be uncomfortable. We didn't want to get them mad at us. We didn't want them to disown us. But they're going to be disowned for eternity because they're going to stand in front of God and God's going to say, depart from me for I never knew you. And I don't know whether or not this is going to happen, but what are we going to think when they turn to us and they say, you, it's their responsibility for rejecting Christ. Their personal responsibility. But when they turn to us and they said, you knew. You knew I wasn't saved. But yet you kept your mouth shut the whole time. Because you didn't want to be uncomfortable. Because you didn't want to take a chance on breaking our relationship. Well, guess what? Our relationship now is going to be broken for all eternity because I'm going to hell. Yes, it was my fault. It was my decision that I didn't make. But you know what? You could have played a part in turning me to Jesus. But you helped me think that I was saved all these years. Do we know this morning in closing this love that, Christ, that Paul's talking about in Jesus Christ? Is it in us? Does He dwell in us? Are we more like Jesus today than we were last week? Or last year? Or two years ago? Or five years ago? Or whenever you got saved? Because if we're not like, more like Jesus today than we were before, we need to take a look at our salvation. Do we know the love that Paul's talking about this morning? Because that love's going to bear fruit. Is Paul's prayer... Our prayer this morning. Is Paul's prayer our prayer that, that we want to have all wisdom in Jesus, we want to have all strength, and we want to know what the height and depth and width and length of his love is for us? Because if it isn't, we need to take we need to take a look at ourselves and to take a look at our lives. Why don't I have that desire? Why is that prayer not my prayer? And there's one of two reasons. Either we've allowed ourselves to backslide or we don't have that love in us to begin with. And God's given us the opportunity right here and right now to do something about that. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed, please. Simple prayer this morning. Two simple prayers for us this morning. If we're not living the way God's, God's called us to live, I hope your prayer this morning is, Father, do a work in my life where I want to do what's pleasing to You. And for others today, it might be a matter of, Pastor John, I know I'm not saved. I know Jesus isn't living in my life. But I want to give my life to Him today. If that's you, I'm going to lead you in a prayer.